Good morning. Uh, welcome to those online. Uh, welcome, welcome this morning. And uh, excited. And I uh, want to see them start off by saying happy birthday to my wife. Today is her birthday. So uh, I'll let her tell you how old she is. I won't, I won't go there. 45. That's not even the point. The point is just happy birthday. So we do want to honor her today. The worship playlist today was I asked her what's one of your favorite songs. And she didn't, couldn't just give me five, but anyway, I held her down to five. And so, and just so you know, if you're watching online every week and whatnot, uh, the, I update the playlist on our website every week. If you go to our live stream page, I know we're not live streaming directly to our live stream page yet because we don't have the, all the equipment we need. But on our live stream page, I update the playlist every week. So it's usually after the service in the afternoon one, the first opportunity I get, I usually have so, and when you see the new message come up every week on our live stream page, because it is uh, archived there upon some other places on the website, uh, I have our most current worship playlist uh, uh, on there. So, so that's, that's on there. A couple announcements I just want to make mention to as we get started this morning. Uh, uh, February 29th, there's actually, yes, uh, it's week year this year, so February 29th is a Saturday. We're going to be having another movie night. And we'll be showing the Care Flower College's production, uh, God With Us. It'll be at 7 o'clock that night, uh, right here, and right on the, our big screen here. So that's coming up in October, uh, October February. Let's uh, not fast forward a year that fast. Um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, uh, so February 29th, uh, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, if you're local, uh, feel free to join us. Um, everything's uh, on schedule. Our Bible study is night at 6 o'clock. Uh, better way to pray. Our Bible study in Pasadena at 7.30 on Saturdays is uh, a spirit, soul, and body. And that's going well. We had an awesome time last night with that. And then uh, we have our Bible classes ongoing on our website. And our website, just so you know, is lighthousediscipleship.org. So, excuse me, lighthousediscipleship.org. And our Bible classes are on there. And also, oh, man, if you are local, I have a lot of announcements this morning. I think this is the last one I'll do this morning. Uh, man, if you are local, we uh, we go to uh, we have two men's events, one at a church in West Covina uh, this coming Saturday on the first, and then uh, uh, two weeks from now on San Benito. And I go there every month to these two when I'm available on the first and second Saturdays, and I'm always on our website on our event page. Uh, but I'm speaking at both of these events this month, uh, the first, and I don't have the date in my mind, but I'm, if that's the first, it's probably the eighth. Um, but it's on our website. Uh, they're both start around 9.30 in the morning. Breakfast is served, lunch is served at this one, and breakfast is served at that one. So, uh, so there's food. So usually if there's food, and then we'll come. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so uh, if you're local, uh, make plans to join us, and, and we'll have a good time with fellowship together. All right, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get our message this morning. We're, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're uh, teaching, a, uh, I'm reteaching a message that's, taught many times here uh, on uh, being established in righteousness. I shared a little bit of that testimony last week. I'm not going to share all that again this morning. But when I, I first began to get the rent hold of this uh, teaching, uh, this uh, topic on righteousness, when we started our church five years ago, uh, December, uh, I taught almost a whole year on righteousness. And then I finally compiled all those notes and, 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 and put it to six or eight lessons uh, and uh, I've taught this in Tijuana, Mexico, and a pastor's conference there. Uh, and so I'm reteaching it um, here again. 
and I won't be reteaching every so often. But I'm also recording it for our LEOs, our Bible classes pages. So if there is anyone who's part of our Bible classes, I've already turned that on. So you have access to this, and as I teach it every week, uh, in the next few weeks, I will be uploading the newest video on there. So it's not all the videos are on there yet, because we haven't taught all the videos yet. <laughs> so the videos aren't created yet. But the first one is already on there from last week, and then uh, this week they're already on there. So if you have access to our Bible uh, classes, because you've registered, everyone has access to these classes. I've turned that one on for you. So uh, just FYI. So this afternoon, once I get a chance, I'll be uploading the, the days on there as well. So that's just, again, a little FYI. Uh, so anyways, let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. Uh, turn with me in the Bibles to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. And I'll have it up on the screen here in just a second. Seven. And I taught on this a little bit last week. I'm not going to do a full study on this again this morning, but uh, Isaiah 52, verse 7. And I love this verse. I use it all the time in my own life and also ministry to others. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, and who says to Zion, your God reigns. Again, there's a lot in this verse, but this gospel is called good news. That's the definition of the word gospel. It's good news. And this gospel does multiple things, but Amada, it proclaims peace and it proclaims salvation. And I explained last week how salvation in the Greek is soteria and, uh, and, and here in Hebrews and in the Hebrew language here in Isaiah, it's Yeshua. And it, they both mean the same thing. It means wholeness. It means healing. It means prosperity or provision. It means deliverance. Uh, it means it's salvation. And so um, uh, this gospel proclaims peace and it proclaims salvation. And it says to Zion. What's Zion? If you study that out, Zion is God's people. Zion is all, you study this out in the book of Hebrews and also in the book of Revelation. Zion is also the church. Zion is also the bride of Christ. It's us. It's the church. It's the people of God. And so God is, this, this good news proclaims peace and it proclaims salvation and declares to Zion, his people, his church, us, our God reigns. Sickness doesn't reign, God reigns. Lack doesn't reign, God reigns. His gospel, his good news Christ has redeemed us from the curse. God, Christ took our sin. He took our curse. He nailed it to the cross on himself. And he buried it. And he gave us this righteousness. And that's what we're going to get into. Last week I focused on we we're all supposed to be preaching one message. And, I, and I'm not going to reteach all that this morning. You'll have to uh, find it on the archives on our website. But uh, it's not just on our Bible class page, but it's also in our, 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 all of our messages. But it's just a... Um, this gospel, this, this message that we're supposed to be preaching is the gospel of Christ. And this gospel proclaims, among other things, peace and salvation to us. And it declares to us, our God reigns. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, go with me to Romans chapter 1. I just wanted to recap this from last week. And this is uh, one of my primary verses I use in teaching on righteousness. But Romans chapter 1, we'll start with verse 16. 
chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. And the King James says it this way, unto salvation. And for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in what? The gospel. He just, he was, the context is been talking, keeps talking about the gospel of Christ. In it, the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel of Christ, that's what he's talking about, reveals the righteousness of God. So if you hear the gospel, not only does it proclaim peace and salvation, but it proclaims the righteousness of God. And what, that's what this, this, this teaching is about. We're gonna, we'll get into, later on in our study, we'll get into talking more about the latter part of this verse here, from faith to faith, and where the just. Now, we studied this word righteous, the smaller form of this word. The word righteous and the word just are the exact same word in the Greek. So the just, the righteous, shall live by his faith. And we'll get into that part a little bit later. I talked a little bit at length last week about the first part of verse 16, where the gospel Christ is, it's not going to be, but it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. It, we just talked about that word salvation, soteria, here in the Greek. It means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means healing. It means deliverance. It means provision. So the, the gospel Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Everyone who what? Believes. And that's where this belief will, will, will connect from faith to faith for the just to live by his faith. It's this, this power, this gospel, and the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So this righteousness is available to everyone if we will believe it. It's the righteousness of God by faith. And we live from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from grace to grace. And the, but the gospel, and that, my point I'm trying to make here at the beginning of our series here, is the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So if, if, the, if uh, and we're, I'm going to use another verse here in just a moment to, ta- to kind of tag with this, but uh, if we've heard the gospel, the gospel will reveal the righteousness of God. If the message we hear under, and we think it's the gospel is not revealing the righteousness of God, it's not the gospel. And whatever the righteous God is, and we're going to get into teaching on that more in depth this morning. Okay, so that's a little bit of recap from last week, uh, and uh, not, not a full recap. But go with me, if you will, to now to uh, Psalm chapter 89. I want to build on the premise that, we, that we've been establishing so far. Um, Last week, I, I kind of subtitled last week's message, turned me to Psalm 89, verse 14, where we'll, we'll begin. But uh, last week, I kind of focused on the subtitle of, uh, that we would all have the unity of the faith. And we, in other words, we would all be preaching the same message, the same gospel um, that Paul exhorts us to in his letters. Today, I'm more focusing on being establishing his righteousness, and what, where, uh, that's pretty much the theme of my uh, my message, which is the title of our series this morning. Um, but Psalm 89, uh, right now I'm establishing that, uh, we've already been establishing that there's one message, that what the gospel is, what the gospel reveals. We've established that a little bit last week and a little bit this morning already. What I want to focus on right now in this section of this morning is that the righteousness is righteousness is the foundation. Okay? Because it says right here, excuse me, 
righteousness and justice. Or some translations that you read will say righteousness and truth. But righteousness and justice are the foundation of his, your throne. Mercy and truth come before your face. Blessed are the people who know the good. We'll say, I teach us in a totally different message. The latter part in verse 15 and, and 16. Um, but I want to go ahead and read through 16. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. And in your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. When we understand righteousness, and I know we're just barely getting into this, but when we understand righteousness, righteousness will exalt you. That might boggle, will mess with our religious mind sometimes. How, why do we want, we want to exalt him, not us. We're not exalting ourselves. Now James said it this way, that humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. It's okay to be exalted when God exalts us. It's okay when he does it. We humble ourselves in the sight of him. He exalts us. But his righteousness will exalt us. And why is that so? I'm not, this is not the scope of my message. Totally, but we were, we just saying about this morning, one of our songs, we were dead. We were sinners. We were prisoners to sin. We, without Christ, we were dead. But in Christ, we are born again. We are alive. There's an exaltation in that. We had no hope. We were defeated. We were alienated from the life of God, Paul talks about. We had no life in us. We had no hope in us. We had no, uh, we had no, we, and the, the worst thing that we had, we had no God. We were alienated from the life of God. But if we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, my favorite verse, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteous, and that word become means to be born of, that we might be born of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not righteous outside of Christ Jesus. We're righteous because we are in Christ Jesus. And without Christ Jesus, we are dead. We are... We, uh, uh, we're nothing. But we're not nothing because we are in Christ Jesus. We are the righteous of God. And so in that context, His righteousness exalts us. We're going to get some other scriptures if we get far enough this morning. But uh, in righteousness, we are to be established. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every word that rises up against you, you shall condemn. Because your righteousness is of, is of me, declares the Lord. Righteous, when we understand righteousness... We are exalted over every principality and power. We are exalted over sin. We are exalted over death. We are exalted over sickness. We're not exalted over him. We're in him. We're sitting with him on his throne. You know, anyone who can sit on the throne of God on his lap is exalted compared to anything else. That makes sense? You can't get any higher than being in his presence and being, uh, being one flesh with our God, with our maker, with our creator, with our husband, with our savior, with our Lord. We're one flesh. He's in us and we are in him. That is exalting. But he does the work, not us. He exalts us. We're not exalting ourselves. We're not being arrogant, but we, are, but we need to know who we are. But feeling, you know, there's a false pride in the sense that we are insecure in who we are. We need to be secure in who we are in Christ. And that revelation should, in a sense, in our minds, exalt us. 
Not in an arrogant way where we're above God, but exalted so we are not just feeling depressed and sorry for ourselves and discouraged with our head hanging down. No, our head should be hanging up because we have been redeemed. We just taught in our last series in 1 Corinthians 1 30 that in, he has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We have, been, we, we have an eternal redemption. We have a great salvation. And we, should, we, we have plenty to be thankful about. We have plenty to be grateful for, even on our worst day. And I know some things that we, we go through. But we have the life of God. We have the nature of God. And we are talking about we have the righteousness of God. But let me go back to verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. A throne is where a king reigns. A throne is where the king sits and runs and governs and, and is king over his kingdom. That makes sense? The, the throne is a very special uh, position and, and seat for the king. But righteousness and justice, righteousness and truth, as some translations will say, are the foundation of that throne. Righteousness is the foundation upon which his throne sits on, where he sits in. That makes sense? God established how his kingdom is, it works. And I know that it still goes beyond our natural mind to understand everything, but righteousness is the foundation. The foundation to anything is important. The foundation is the most important part of this home. Yes, we need the plumbing. Yes, we need the, the windows and the roof and other things about this house. But if the foundation is good, no matter what we build on it will be good. But the foundation is bad, no matter how it looks and with all that other stuff, uh, this house uh, it, uh, it, it, it's not good. And it, it, will, it could collapse. It could fall apart. And uh, the foundation is essential. The foundation in any relationship, marriage, is essential. Uh, a child, all of us, when we go to school, we learn, and we're going to get into this a little bit in a minute, but we learn the elementary teachings. Elementary is very essential. You know, in high school, uh, I learned algebra and geometry. And one night they wanted, you know, the, I could have learned calculus and other things too, but I didn't want to stretch my brain anymore and I had to deal with some of those areas, you know, but I, so I didn't. But we learned all other subjects. But you can't learn algebra if you don't want to learn, first learn the elementary teachings of basic math. How to add, subtract, multiply, divide, and subtractions in there. You can't learn Shakespeare and, 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 and vocabulary if you don't first understand the alphabet. So elementary teachings. The elementary teachings are foundational to other teachings. You can't grow in your knowledge of God. You can't grow in your relationship with God if you don't first understand the foundational things. The elementary things. Am I making sense? It's the foundation. And we want, that's why I, my, the title of this message is that we become established in righteousness. Because this is very foundational. We can teach on any other subject from parenting to uh, any, any, any subject we can talk about if we get the foundation right. That makes sense? Because every message I teach, I have a, there's a thread of righteousness being in that message. But we, we talk about love, peace, healing, wholeness, finances. Righteousness is, is intermixed in there because it's the foundation of that message. But if you, got, you don't have the foundation wrong, sometimes when you teach other subjects from love, uh, finances, relationships, parenting, marriage, whatever, a lot of times those messages will be off base too. 
because the foundation is wrong. Does that make sense? And so the foundation is very essential. We need to talk about more than just righteousness, but we need to be established on a foundation uh, that's true, that's just, that's righteous. That, I hope you're making sense with that. Uh, go be the Hebrews chapter uh, 5, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll add to what I just said. Hebrews chapter 5. And we're talking about being established in righteousness. Right now we're talking specifically about the foundation of righteousness, or what I'm going to be giving to you right now, the elementary teachings of righteousness. Okay? Well, we'll pick it up in verse 12. Uh, Hebrews 5 is a semi-short chapter, but verse 12, we'll pick it up right here. And the writer of Hebrews says, Without, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of what? Righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. <coughs> Excuse me. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We're not going to so much do it for verse 14 right now. But verses 12 and 13, I want to look at some things here. First of all, he says, by now, he's, whoever he's teaching, he's writing to the Hebrews, so he's talking to Jews. But what, to his audience, he's telling them, <coughs> by now you should be teachers. But you can't be teachers because you need someone to teach you again the first principles. The King James calls it the elementary principles. You can't, in other words, just like I use the illustration of algebra, you can't learn the algebra until you learn the, first, the elementary teachings of basic math. You can't understand Shakespeare, and I still don't understand Shakespeare, but uh, that's another subject. But uh, uh, you can't understand some of those things until you understand the basics of, of the alphabet, the basics of the English language. So, you can, and my, our job as pastors and teachers and prophets and the Bible ministries is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We might not all teach from a pulpit, so to speak, but we all teach in our homes. We all teach in our circle of influence, friends and people in our lives. Maybe in a short conversation or on Facebook or whatever it might be. But we all should be teachers. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, we're all able ministers of the New Testament. We should all be able to, at some level, be teaching others. If nothing else, by our example. Maybe it's not always with words. Maybe we're not theologians. Or maybe we care. We, we're not gifted as teaching. But everyone is, people are watching us. We, we are all influenced by one another. And so we are teaching people by our life and our doctrine and everything that we do. How we respond to things, how we react to things. Uh, our attitudes, things that we're involved in, the things that we are passionate about. We all teach, but I, so I can go off on that uh, and, and expand on that. But, we, but he says, by now you should be teachers, but you can't even teach because you need to learn it again. In other words, <coughs> you haven't learned it. You're not establishing it, so you can't teach others. He says, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a babe. We all were babes someday. We didn't come out of our mother's womb as an adult. We all were a babe. 
And our mothers are thankful for that. <laughs> you know, so we all were a baby. Nothing wrong with being a baby. But we need to grow up. We need to mature. We don't want to be a baby all of our lives. Some of us wish we could go back to those years where we didn't have some of the, the problems and challenges <coughs> and responsibilities we have now. But we have to grow up. You know, when, when, a, when a toddler, I know my, my wife watches her nephew, a toddler, right now, but uh, a toddler, when they do make some mistakes and say some things, it's, it's cute. Because they're a baby. They're a child. But if we acted like that way all the time as an adult, it wouldn't sometimes be so cute. It would sometimes it would, be, it would look very foolish. And, and so, but there's nothing wrong with being a babe. There's a season for being a babe. And what, you know, babe, <coughs> there's three things about babies or children. Or babies. I love children. But children can be very gullible. If they like you, they trust you, they will, li they will listen to whatever you tell them. And some people, some, you know, whether it be good or bad or they're ugly, they will listen to those that they trust or they, they're connected with. Is that making sense? There's some people who have taught some brainwashed children of different things. Uh, and I don't want to even go there with something. But, so, you know, but children can be taught anything. Whoever that they will listen to. But children can be gullible. Children can also be uh, codependent. And there's a season for that. A, a baby can't feed themselves, can't take care of themselves, can't drive, can't get a job. Uh, so there's a, there's a season uh, while they're growing up to be dependent on mom and dad or a, a, a legal guardian. Uh, but there's a time where they grow up that they don't need to be codependent anymore. We all have a time where we remember, uh, or maybe rephrase that, some of us go through things where maybe we have a, a midlife crisis or a challenge or a catastrophe or something where we need to be codependent again for a season until we get back on our feet again. Maybe we had an illness, maybe we had a, a tragedy, whatever the case. And so there might be a, a small season where we need, in a sense, to lean on one another and so we can get back on our feet again. But we don't want to stay there. We want to grow up. We want to get back on our own feet and live our own lives. Now God is destined to that. But... And so even, and then I'll come back to both of those, but then another thing about a child is that they, can, they can't be reproduced. A child is not, <coughs> God did not design a child to reproduce, be reproductive. They're the mature first, and then they can be reproductive. But the same thing is spiritually speaking, you know, if we're not grounded and established in righteousness, we're not establishing God's word, we can be swayed by any, any, any sound of doctrine, by any kind of teaching. We can be very gullible because we're not established ourselves. You're not get, there's some teachings you're not going to persuade me. You're not going to persuade me against the Holy Spirit. You're not going to persuade me against righteousness. You're not going to persuade me into some other universalism and some other topics that are out there because I'm just too grounded in those subjects. Do I know everything? No. But there's some areas where I am very established in and you're not going to persuade me. Because I'm established, and that can be good. It can't. It will be. Can be bad if you're established in something that's wrong, and you've been brainwashed, and you've been taught, and, and now you're establishing the wrong doctrine, the wrong teaching. That can be hard to, to, to persuade somebody who's been grounded in, in that teaching. That making sense. And another thing about going spiritually speaking, that codependent. There's a time, even as a new believer, that for a season that we, in a sense, need to be codependent on the church and, and the pastor and good teaching. 
Uh, I mean, even disciples were dependent on Jesus for three and a half years. Paul was discipled for three and a half years before he went, went into his full-time ministry after he got converted. Sometimes, sometimes there's a, I'm not saying three and a half years is a magic number, but there's, sometimes there's a season when we first become born again to get discipled, to get some grounded into some doctrine and some, some teaching so that when someone tries to persuade us otherwise or, or when tragedies in our life happen, that we can, we can make decisions, good decisions, and, and handle the, the, the issues of life soundly. That makes sense. Well, we need to be grounded and mature enough so we are not gullible and we're also not, uh, we're, we want to be dependent on God, not people, but sometimes God will use people in our lives to help us get grounded and get established so that we can be more self-sufficient as we trust in God for ourselves. That making sense? Just like a child needs to be self-sufficient, trusting God for their life, not mom and dad. But there's a season sometimes where we need to, until we, until that season of, of growing up and being, it's called the elementary season where we're learning and then the growing years. And we're always growing, we're always learning. But those, those early years are very crucial to how that child will become and whatnot. That making sense. And same thing with reproduction. As we grow in Christ, as we grow in our knowledge of God, we can be, our goal is not just, we be blessed, us for no more, but our goal is to reach the world. Our word is to reach our world, and then reach our families. But it's hard to sometimes evangelize in some areas when we're not grounded ourselves, when we're not mature ourselves, but we need to have some type of foundation so we can be reproductive, spiritually speaking. That makes sense. And so, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that a little bit more later as we go forward, but... Everyone who partakes only, and there's nothing wrong with milk. We love milk. We drink a lot of milk here. But we, he's not, we're not talking about this, <coughs> the stuff that comes excuse me, from a cow. But he's, he's using it as, 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 as an allegory that, or a metaphor. But for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. We need to, in other words, the, 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 the lesson here, we need to be skilled in righteousness. If we don't become skilled in righteousness, we will always be obeyed. If we're not established in the foundation and the elementary teachings or the first principles of the oracles of God, which are the righteousness, then we will never grow and mature past being obeyed, spiritually speaking. So, so whatever this is like, and we're going to be studying this, we want to become skilled in righteousness so we're not obeyed, spiritually speaking, all of our lives. That makes sense. We want to grow up. We want to mature. As a Christian. Okay. Let's go to, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And how are we going to be trained? How are we going to be skilled? Well, we have to be skilled by the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God, the Spirit of God is our teacher. He's our instructor. And he's always going to use the Word of God. Does that make sense? We don't want to be taught by any other source than the Word of God. Yes, God will use pastors and teachers and other people in our lives, even, even nature, but they will, always, they will always mirror the Word of God. Does that make sense? If, they're not, if the Word of God is not their source of what they're teaching, then God bless them, but uh, you know what? I, I can't learn from that. I'm not interested in sitting underneath any teacher as a pastor if the Word of God is not their main source. Okay, I, I love them. I'm not against them. 
But I can't put faith in their commentary. I have to put faith in the Word of God. That makes sense? And their commentary may be right or wrong, and I'm not judging that. And, and, uh, but as long as my commentary is scripturally based, I can, I can, I can, I can build my faith on that. We're, we're, the righteous God is, is, is revealed from faith to faith. Where does faith come from? The Word of God. So we, it can't be revealed from faith to faith that the Word of God is not even an equation. We have to be skilled. We have to be taught the Word of God. Uh, and so, anyway, with that in mind, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in what? Righteousness. i got to come back and, and deal with this a little bit more. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for some good works. No, every good work. Every good work. And that, to me, I find that every issue of my life. Whether it's being a good husband, being a good pastor, for you who are parents or grandparents. Everything we do, our job, our vocation, everything we do as a citizen of our country, in our state, and our in the region where we live. I want to do good work. I want to be effective. I want to be a blessing. And, there, and yes, there's ministry involved in all that too. That's all good work. But let's go back here. Uh, let's go back here. It says all scripture. It doesn't say some scripture. It says all scripture. Now, we'll, we'll study this a little bit more later as we go further. I'll be coming back to this passage, especially about scripture. But let me just make this little side note right now. When Paul wrote this, and, and you'll see a lot of times where Jesus and Paul and other apostles will talk about scripture. And specifically when they write scripture, the New Testament didn't exist yet. Now we all agree that the New Testament is scripture term. Okay. But when they wrote this, the New Testament didn't exist yet. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. It'll be a major point later that I'll bring out. Um, but it's not so much a major point now, so I might be premature in saying this right now. But all scripture includes, but I, I am including it right now, it includes the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. Because when they when they, he wrote this, that's, all, that's the only thing that existed. The New Testament didn't exist yet. So does it include the Old Testament? Absolutely. Because they, Jesus and Paul and the apostles used the Old Testament to preach the gospel. They didn't have the New Testament yet. God, God inspired everything from Genesis all the way to maps, to the book of Revelation. Uh, and uh, and the, even the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. Okay? Now, I'm not everything that's from God. There's some things that Job said are not God. It's Job speaking, or his friend speaking. That's a totally another topic. I'm not going to get off on all that. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for, and this is the way I like to read it. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for doctrine and righteousness, and reproof and righteousness, and correction and righteousness, and instruction in righteousness. We need to be indoctrinated in righteousness. We need to be reproved in righteousness. We need to be corrected or trained and, and, and instructed in righteousness. That makes sense? We need that. We need, and, then, and, and this is not just applying to the last one. There's a comma in all these, all these ones. It's, we need, it's profitable to be, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but there's times I need to be reproved. I need to be corrected in righteousness. We read it last week. <coughs> from 1 Thessalonians, <coughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, 
that Paul says, I come to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. There's times that my faith needs to be perfected. My faith is not always right on. I get focused on the storms. I get focused on the issues of life. I get focused on natural things. I get focused on the flesh, my emotions, or whatever. But I need to be perfected. And sometimes my doctrine is religious. My doctrine's not right on because either how I was taught or how I perceived it. I'm not attacking anybody how I was taught, but there, there's some religion in all of us that needs to be reproved. Does that make sense? There's some ways of thought, naturally speaking, that need to be corrected. I need to be corrected as you train a child, as you train any athlete, as you train any, anybody in life, you're go there's going to be some correction along the way. There's going to be some reproving along the way. You didn't come out of the womb knowing everything. You had to be reproved along the way. Not just academically, but also socially. Also, they have manners, respect, and honor, and, and, and uh, uh, how to get along with people. You know, when, a lot of times when we get married, we have marriage classes or marriage counseling. So we know how to, this, we're going into new territory. When we go and get, have a child, a lot of times they have parenting classes. We need to know. We need to learn something. We need to relearn some things. Okay? We need to be reproved. It's okay to be reproved. We're not condemning people. Now, we're not what we're talking about. There's a difference. But it's okay to be reproved. It's okay to be corrected. But in what? Righteousness. Again, I know we've been talking a lot about righteousness. We talked about this last week. But the word righteousness <coughs> is used over... <coughs> excuse me. It always happens on Sunday when I start talking a lot. start talking a lot. But the word righteousness is used over 500 times in, in the Old and New Testament. And then when you study how it means right standing with God. It's not right doing. It's a noun, it's not a verb. That was very revolutionary to me. I always thought righteousness was right doing, a verb. But it's a noun. It's who we are, not what we do. But because we are righteous, we are going to live righteously. We are going to live godly. We don't live righteously. We don't live godly to become righteous, no. If that was the case, we don't need Jesus. We live righteously because we are righteous. That makes sense. An apple tree produces an apple because it is an apple tree. Dogs beget dogs. Cats beget cats. Monkeys beget monkeys. Humans beget humans. Why? Because that's who they are. We live righteously. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness comes from the root, comes from the seed. We're born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. So we live righteously because we are. But we need to be reproved. We need to be corrected. We need to be indoctrinated, instructed that we're righteous. And all scripture is profitable to train us in this righteousness, to be skilled in righteousness, the elementary teachings, the foundation of the throne, so that, why? So that we, the man of God, and the woman of God, the person of God, the child of God, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Until you're trained in righteousness, and that training, church, will be a lifetime. Yes, there's an initial point where you start, but how many know we're all learning? The moment you stop learning, the mo moment you stop growing, even physically speaking, if you stop eating, if you stop growing, you're dying. We don't want to die. We can't stop. If I, if I put this on the shelf, even for a day, I'm struggling. 
My emotions are taking over. I'm st have you ever been in a grouchy mood? Or just not handling the time where I get so busy and doing things. I might even be doing ministry. But I got so busy, I didn't have a relationship with God today. That's not good. That's not healthy. Sometimes I get so busy, I don't even eat physically. There's days I go all day, and I'm wondering why I'm hungry. Because I didn't eat anything. If you don't eat anything, you're going to be hungry. That's the way God designed it. God designed the body to have hunger pains, so you eat. You know, and so we need to eat. If you go a long time without eating, it's not healthy. It's okay to fast once in a while, and that can be very healthy. But if you go long term all the time, you don't have a regular diet, a healthy diet, that's not good. Well, we need to be, we need to be trained and reproved by the Word of God in righteousness so that we can be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. I, I wasn't going to go here, but toggle with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll pick it up verse 11. We were here last week, and we'll be coming back here from time to time. <coughs> but Ephesians chapter 4. And one thing about this message of righteousness, are we going to, you know, a lot of scripture in this series, because there's been a lot to teach on this. And uh, remember, I said I taught on the whole year on this. The first year we had our church. Uh, we won't be out this for a whole year, just a few weeks, but uh, I'll be getting some other things. But, uh, and he himself gave, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, a fivefold ministry. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Uh, uh, and those would be, uh, I'm not to highlight this again this week, but this, this phrase for the is mentioned three times in this verse. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the equipping, of, or for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has given us the fivefold ministries, pastors, and I'm a pastor, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And I'm, my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry of edifying the body of Christ. That makes sense so far. So this word equipping, I've got to take you back on this in just a moment. For till we all come to the unity of the faith. That's what we were talking about last week, as we kind of concluded. But I, I, I said everything I said last week to get to this verse. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That's the same word for complete. That we all become complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see in this verse growing and maturity and, 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 and uh, the word growing and coming to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we should no longer be, what? Children, babes, tossed to and fro by every, fro carried out with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking in the truth of love may grow up, that's maturity, in all things into who? Him, who is our righteousness, who is the head, Christ. And it goes on. And all of this really is one sentence. All of this <coughs> Paul's sentences there can be long. But my job here as a pastor, and our job as, as, as ministers, is to equip. So I want to use that, that connotation for, you know, our job is to help you become thoroughly, complete for, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You follow me so far? 
My job is to help equip you for every good work. And how am I going to do that? By teaching you all scripture. That doctrinates you, reproves you, and trains you, and instructs you in all righteousness. So that you will be skilled in righteousness and not obeying. My job is to teach you so that you can teach others. So you can edify others. So you can be a blessing to others. You might not always be from the pulpit. We're not all called to be a pulpit. But my job, using this pulpit, using a pastor, it's not always a pulpit, sometimes it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation or whatever it might be. But my job is to equip you for every good work. And I, my tool is the Word of God and training you in righteousness so that you can be equipped to do what God's called you to do in your family, in your job, in your destiny. My job is to help you fulfill your destiny. Not making sense. But the, the job, I'm using scripture, so you, among other things, is equipping in righteousness, which is the foundation. I, I guess I'm supposed to teach you other things, but I gotta lay the foundation. The foundation has to be there. The elementary teachings have to be there, so we can talk about other things. If I get this foundation, when I talk about the issues of life that we all go through, that we all need to be equipped for, so that we're all complete, and so we're equipped for every good work. Parenting's a good work. Our jobs are a good work. Being a good spouse is a good work. Being a good citizen in this country and where God's put us is a good work. There's other things that we do and being a blessing to others are a good work. Having good finances is a good work. Having living godly is a good work. Uh, not being addicted to something is a good work. There's a lot of good works, but you're going to be equipped for every good work by Scripture. And my job, and, 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 and when you study out Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, what we just read, if you go back in verse 8, he says he's given gifts to man. God has given gifts to the church, which includes the Bible ministry to equip you, to equip us, so we have a work to do of edifying one another, till we all come to the unity of the faith, till we all come to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Does that make sense? Because I want to see you complete. I'm not... We are not here building our own church so we can build our own empire and have a name for ourselves. I'm not saying we won't have buildings. I'm not saying we won't have those things. But, but those things are all tools so that we can equip you, equip the people, to do the ministry. Because we do the ministry not just when they come to church. Yes, we have ministry here. But we do ministry out there. That's where the sheep are. That's where the fish are. That's where the people are. They're not here. So we need to go out there. Yes, from time to time as we they get saved, we'll bring them here. And this is a place where we can get fed and encouraged and strengthened and taught. But it starts out there. And it's rough out there. It's tough out there. So you need to be equipped. You need to be complete. You need to be ready. But if, not, if you're not ready, you're going to be like children tossed by every wind of doctrine. Even circumstances can be, a, in a sense, a form of wind of doctrine. You know, those who are not established and righteous, when, when the storms come, when life comes, they're not established. And they can just go with the flow. They, you know, if the, if the storm takes them, <coughs> takes them downstream, then they'll just go, go with the flow. You know, and that makes sense. And so my job is to, 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 us to be established in righteousness. I know we're barely getting into this, but I'm setting some principles here of why I'm so passionate about this. Because I realize this is my job. This is my position as a pastor. And not just me, prophets, uh, all Bible ministry. I love the prophetic ministry. I love the apostolic ministry. I love the missionary ministry. 
And they all have their own giftings. That's why they're different. But they're all gifted to do one thing, um, even though they have a different ways of, of doing that to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith. We all have that purpose. We all we have different functions, just like the body the body has my heart has different functions than my head. My hands have different functions than my feet. But I need the whole thing to be complete and do what God's called me to do. That makes sense? We need one another. But we all have one main purpose, and that is, as a Bible ministry, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We have one main purpose to equip you, that you might be complete in every good thing. And as much as we need to equip you, we ourselves need to be equipped by the same, by the same means that we equip you. We need to have a pastor. We need to be equipped so we can equip you. That makes sense? Okay, let's move on a little bit. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. How are we doing our time, by the way? And again, I love other pastors. I'm not against any other church or pastor or ministry or Bible ministry. But if they're not equipping you to be complete for every good work, then I encourage you to, to consider finding them. I'm not, I'm not the answer to everyone. It's not me. But I just encourage you to be somewhere where you are being equipped in, in, in the Word of God. We're not looking for perfection in people, but we are looking that they are teaching the truth. They are treating, teaching the elementary teachings. Hopefully, I'm making sense with that. And I, I want to teach. I want. I, I'm, I'm trusting our church will grow where we can have children's ministries, where we can have other type of ministries, so we can teach them the same things we're teaching here, but at their level. So we can uh, teach them everything we're teaching here about righteousness and everything else as well. Is that making sense? And uh, it, you know, it ministry churches should never be a competition. Yeah, if that is the case, then we've, 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 met, we've missed the message. It's, I'm not competing with other churches. I'm not competing with other ministries. That, uh, we are the body of Christ. And uh, Christ is not divided. Christ is not competing among himself. It, 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 I, I can't even fathom thinking that way. I'm, I'm called to do what God's called me to do. And be faithful in that. It's not about the size, it's not about that. But I want to be effective, I want to reach people, I want to be effective. But it's not about competition, there's nothing about it. <clears throat> if I could help you, another church, another pastor, I'm here. <laughs> I, I'd love to help you. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But, okay, Romans uh, chapter 3. We'll spend a lot more time with this as we go forward. And uh, a lot here, but let me read a few verses here. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Again, that word justified means no, by, the, by the deeds of the law, no one will be declared righteous. Because just remember, the word just and the word righteous are the same word in the Greek. So, by the deeds of the law, but because you keep the law, by your deeds of the law, you can't be justified. You can't be justified, you can't, you can't be declared righteous because of what you do. It's not self-righteousness. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64 that self-righteousness is like filthy rags. But, so, by the need of the law, no just shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I want to pause again there. Remember we just read in, Ro this is Romans chapter 3, but in Romans chapter 1, we said that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. 
But here Paul's saying the law is the knowledge of sin. There's all kinds of messages that we hear, not just from a pulpit or a CD or DVD or uh, MP3, MP4. There's all kinds of devices now. But I'm not just talking about a, a, a sermon, a message. But that is the one way we hear things. But we also hear our own, our own, our own thoughts speaking to ourselves. We have other people talking to us, family, loved ones, but also enemies or people we're not acquainted with. We hear the enemy speaking to us. We hear God speaking to us by His Spirit and whatnot. So there's a lot of different way, channels and ways that we receive a message. That makes sense? Our bodies speak to us. Our circumstances speak to us. The fig tree spoke to Jesus and Jesus answered the fig tree. Things are speaking to us. Good, bad, and the ugly. But if the message you are hearing, whatever it is, whether it's a sermon, a message, or, or some other thought or, or concept, is revealing to you how you are wrong, how you are not right with God, you just had an encounter with the law, because the law is the knowledge of sin. But if what you spoke with you is how you are right with God because of what Jesus did, you just had an encounter with righteousness, the gospel. That makes sense? There's two kinds of voices, there's two kinds of messages. One's going to tell you you're wrong and you're not right with God, the law. And the law does that on purpose. When the law is exposing our sin, it's a knowledge of sin that tells us that we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We need help. We messed up. We, no matter, even the best of us, even the best of us have fallen short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have, the, the law reveals that on purpose, so we turn to Jesus. We don't, try to, we don't turn to ourselves to fix ourselves. We turn to Jesus. Righteousness reveals that you can only be right because of Jesus. You can't be right because of yourself. But if you become right and you let Jesus become Lord of your life, you can be free from sin. You can be free. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the power to be free from the dominion of sin. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. I have so many conversations with so many people, even pastor friends of mine, and they, 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 they embrace the message of grace, but they're frustrated because some people have taken the message of grace and made it a license of sin. And I know that type of philosophy is out there, but my argument with that is, not my quarrel, but my argument with that is, is if they th anyone who thinks that grace is a license of sin, they don't know grace. Because that's not what grace teaches. Grace teaches the denying godliness. Grace sets you free from sin. Grace doesn't give you a license to be entangled with the thing that it just set you free from. That's an oxymoron. That, it doesn't work that way. Someone who thinks that, someone who's teaching that, doesn't know the gospel. Doesn't know, right, we are the way to righteousness and sin not. We haven't gotten to that verse yet. We're not, we're not sinning not to become righteous. But if, if our philosophy of thought is that we can have grace and we can live in the way we want to, we don't understand the gospel yet. We don't understand grace yet. And I'm not putting you down. I'm not angry with anybody. I love you, but I'm not going to agree with you if that's your thought. Our, we're teaching that the law is a knowledge of sin. We need the, we need the knowledge of sin to the law. So we turn to Jesus. But now that we have Jesus, we don't need the law. Now we still obey the law. We still love the Lord of God with all our heart and love our neighbor ourselves. Because all of the law is hinged on us too. Paul talks about in Romans that if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. We still don't murder. We still don't kill. We still don't commit adultery. We still don't do these things. But we don't do these things to become righteous. We, don't do, we do these things because we are righteous. The law is holy 
But if, if you study out, even in Romans chapter 9, I mean Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews talks about how the law itself was anointed by the blood. Even the law, the only way the law became holy was by the blood of the Lamb. But the law is holy, the law is good, but by keeping the law, you can't become holy and good. You keep the law because you are holy and good. That makes sense. We are still... I don't have the power to not sin in my flesh. But I do have the power to not sin because of His grace. Because of His righteousness. Because it's no, it's no, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And Christ in me has the power to not sin. Me and myself has no power not to sin. My flesh is too strong for me. I can't control the flesh by the flesh. I control the flesh by Jesus being Lord of my life and being my Savior. Am I making sense this morning? Uh, we'll get into this some more. But no flesh will be justified in sight. Let's go down to verse 21. But now, and I always like talk, talking about this. When's now? It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. Although this truth is still true yesterday, and it's still true tomorrow, because he's the same yesterday, today, and whatever. But now's now. Now's right now. I don't have to, in other words, I praise God for the day that we will go to heaven. We'll be with him for all eternity. And I'm never any way, shape, or form trying to take away from that. But we have a life to live now. Eternal life is not just going to heaven. Eternal life is having a relationship with Jesus. Okay, we, we need it then, and we will enjoy a relationship with Him then, but we have a relationship with Him now. While we're still on this earth, while we're still on this planet, while we are still in these natural bodies, we can appropriate what He's going to say now, not just then. That makes sense? I, in other words, praise God for heaven. But I don't want to... And wait just for heaven to enjoy all that God has for us. We can begin to exercise and enjoy that now. He says, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now we're going to spend a whole session on this just in more detail as we go forward. So I'm not going to spend all the detail with this right now. But the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is being witnessed by the law. Now that is, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because this sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You know? It's, we are not, we are righteous not because of the law. We are righteous because of Jesus. We are righteous because we put faith in His grace. That's why we're righteous. So it's apart from the law. But even though we're righteous apart from the law, the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, which that's why I talked about all scripture a minute ago, and we'll spend more time on this a little bit later, not this week. But even though we're not righteous because of the law, or because we fulfill the law, we're righteous because of Jesus. We're righteous now because of Jesus. Even though that's true, the law and the prophets give witness, give testimony. To the righteousness we're supposed to be experiencing now. That makes sense. We're not righteous because we, we keep the law. We're not righteous by the deeds of the law. What we do. 
we're righteous because of what he did. But even though we're, we're righteous apart from the law, the law, and we're going to spend more time on this, and I'm not going to fully say this now right now, the law does give a testimony, give a witness to what we should be experiencing now because of Christ. Okay? Hold on to some of those thoughts. We, we will spend more time on that. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who, what? Believe. We talked about that already. Romans 1.16. The, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. Well, there's no difference. We'll come back to some of that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I just quoted that. Now, most of my life growing up, a lot of times I heard this verse, verse 23, and it's true. But I got the perception that when they taught me this verse, that was the gospel. But the gospel is good news. There's no good news in verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is true. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't give me any hope. That doesn't give me any assurance. Any, any, it, there's, no, there's no good news in that. It's true. But at the same point in time, there's a comma. There's not a period. So if you're going to quote the guy, quote the guy. I want to read it in its entirety. For all have sinned and shall fall, fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not where they end. Being justified. That word justified is the same Greek word for righteousness. Being declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have all sinned. Yes, we have all fallen short of glory of God. And the law reveals that. The law gives you the knowledge of that. But the gospel reveals that you are justified by his grace. Through the freely. It didn't cost you anything. It cost him everything. By his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. We'll spend more time with this as we go forward. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. We're going to spend a whole time on that concept too. Quite a different message. By his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. This is just loaded with a lot of truth. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. I'll make some notes about that as well. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Now his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. This is where when we get into this a little bit more where we talk about how the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There's a lot being said here. We're going to study this more thoroughly as we go forward. So I don't want to leave you hanging too much. But just know this. We are not justified. We're not declared righteous because of what we do. We are declared righteous because of what He did. Yes, we all sin. Yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. But we've been justified freely by His grace. He became our propitiation. He became our substitute. He became, did all these things so that we don't put faith in what we do. We put faith in what He did so that He can be the just, just and be the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. 
So therefore comes the message of the righteousness of God by faith. Righteousness came by putting our faith in His grace. His grace is there. He's already done it. His grace is available to everybody. His gift of righteousness is available to everybody. But we need to put faith in it. We need to trust it. We need to believe it. We need to receive it. And now that we receive it, we can live by it. We can live righteously. We can live holy. And we can be complete for every good work. You know, it's going to be hard to be complete for every good work if you're still trying to get right with God. If we're fighting to get right with God, how are we going to be trying to get right with one another? How are we going to try to get right in our circumstances, our finances, our bodies? When we realize righteousness, we realize that God always took care of our healing. He always took care of our provision. He always took care of everything. Because the fact that we were struggling with sickness is because of the curse, because of sin. When we realize we've been justified, then now we cannot also understand that healing is now my right. Healing has already been paid for. I've been redeemed. It's already been purchased through Jesus. When we understand the foundation, when we understand it's the foundation of the throne, and when a king makes a decree on his throne, it is so. And God has already declared us righteous. He's already declared us healed. He's already declared us delivered and paid for. Is that making sense? When we understand the foundation, when we get established in righteousness, I know we just barely get into some of this. Uh, we need to explain some of this in a little more detail. But when we understand this, we'll understand we're healing a lot more. We'll understand how we are complete, totally equipped for every good because the foundation is there. The, 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 the God has already paid for it. We've already been redeemed. We're a new creation. We are righteous. And sin, death, lack, sickness has no claim in our lives because we are righteous. We are paid for. We are redeemed. We are justified. And it's, 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 it's a done deal. Okay? Um, and all, one thing about this, one point I'm trying to make with now, and I'll come back, all scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, give testimony, give witness to everything that we're talking about. That, about. In other words, let me say it again, that all scripture, the Old Testament included, is giving witness, is giving testimony to this righteousness we should be experiencing now. But we understand this. But we don't understand it. If we're still bathed, we're not skilled in the work of righteousness, then the issues of life, sin, sickness, uh, addiction, um, lack, will rule us instead of us ruling it. And because we're not skilled in the work of righteousness. And uh, well, when we are, we're thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, it's hard to be equipped for every good work if you have the right doctrine, but you're sick all the time. It's... It's a, and are you broke all the time? Are you have broken relationships and different things? And, and so, but when we're when we're skilled in the word of righteousness, not only are we right with God, but now we can also be whole. And we can the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We can be whole in spirit, soul, and body. We can be whole in our finances. We can be whole in our relationships. That that becomes a little tricky. I'll come back to that. Uh, but we can be whole in our in our bodies. Raising it's a little tricky with uh, finding with relationships because that type of relationship involves a third party. We can be willing to be right with them. We can be willing. We can even do the right thing. Even the Jesus had enemies. Even the apostles had enemies who were enemies to the cross, who were enemies to the truth. 
uh, the Pharisees and religious leaders. So you can do everything right and still have relationships that are, are south because the third party doesn't doesn't understand this and is not embracing the truth. Does that making sense? Um, and so uh, we're not always going to be buddy-buddy with everybody. But we can know how to react. We can know how to be relational. We can know how to get right with people. We can know how to how not let people get under our skin, so to speak. We can learn how to respond. And we can learn how to be a good husband or spouse. We can be a good parent. We can be a good member of the body of Christ. And we can do our part. We can't change them, but we can change us by knowing who we are. And so we can relate with people the right way, whether they do or don't. That makes sense? Uh, and so, so it does affect that. I know I'm saying a lot of different things, but a lot of this, again, is very introductory to some of the deep, deepness that we're going to get into. That's how it is. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. I only have about 15 minutes left, so I won't get finished with this section today, and that's fine. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Corinthians 5, 14, we'll pick it up here. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge us that if one died for all, then all died. Now we'll come back to this a little bit, because anytime I talk about the love of Christ, I always like to prerequisite with this verse. In 1 John 4, 10, John says, and we'll spend time on this a little bit later too, I know I keep saying that, but with the, uh, a, lot, a lot of these first two messages or so is very introductory to some of the, the deepness that we're going to get into on some of these subjects. But anytime I talk about the love of Christ, I always like to prerequisite with this verse that it says in First John 4.10 that this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. Love is not us loving him. Love is him loving us and dying for us on the cross. That's love. That's, and so, the love of Christ, Christ becoming our propitiation, compels us to, to justice. This word judge means to, to, to come to a conclusion. We come to this conclusion. We come to this judgment, this conclusion, because of the, the love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion that if one, Jesus died for who? All. Then all die. If Christ died for you, and Christ died for me, then you and I died. We died in Christ. We were crucified with Christ. Okay? And he died for all, and those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He said all that to say this, because it was the word therefore. Because all died, because the love of Christ compels us to come to the conclusion that we died with Christ, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, because he was the Son of Man, but he died and he rose again, even now we know him, Christ, thus no longer after the flesh. He, he was the Son of God and the Son of Man, but now he died as the Son of Man and rose again. He's the Son of God, and we don't know Christ after the flesh anymore because he's not flesh. He rose again. 
And if we read Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says that he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our righteousness. We'll be saying that as we go further. But let's keep this in context just for now. Because the love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion that we all died. Because we all died, therefore we regard no one according to flesh. You and I are no longer just flesh. How many of you know, and we can teach this in 1 Corinthians 15 and other scriptures, God cannot dwell in the flesh. God cannot dwell in flesh and blood. God can't have a relationship with flesh and blood. That's why we were alienated from God. God created us in the likeness of Him, it says in, in Genesis 1.26. But because of Adam, and we studied this this week, because of Adam, death reigned. And, uh, but because of Christ, he died for us. We're no longer flesh and blood. We're born again. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, 1 Peter 1.23. We are born of incorruptible seed, which is Christ, by the word of God. We are either in Christ or in Adam. I believe Blossom Purdue teaches this in, the, in, the, in our Bible class uh, spirit, soul, and body, we're either in Christ or we are in Adam. There's only two kinds of seed as far as mankind is. Christ is the second Adam or the last Adam. He was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. But the male carries the seed, not the female. And so I'm not trying to be crude, but just the basis of life, the male carries the seed. So Christ, Christ was born, he wasn't born of Adam. He was born of the Holy Spirit, a whole new prototype, a whole new DNA, a whole new father than Adam. We all came naturally from Adam, but not Jesus. He came from the Holy Spirit. He was born, yes, and married in the womb, so he became the son of man. But his father was not a natural, it wasn't Joseph, and it wasn't a natural father, it wasn't Adam. We all came from Adam, so to speak, but Jesus didn't. But we are born again. As he told Nicodemus, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that we must be born again. We're not born again back into Adam. We're born again into Christ, spiritually speaking. What is flesh is flesh, and what is spirit is spirit. Am I making sense so far, scripturally speaking? But if Christ died for us, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed of sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Andrew Womack in his teaching, uh, great, uh, Grace, the Power of the Gospel, it's a, uh, uh, he goes through the first few chapters, eight chapters or so of the book of Romans, <coughs> but he deals with it in one of his chapters, mid about midway through the, the book, he talks about this word sin that's used like 47 times in the book of Romans. But 45 of those 47 times that the word sin is used in the book of Romans is a noun and not a verb. And if you study that out, he's talking about the natural man. He's not just talking about the, the action of sin. He's talking about the man of sin. He's talking about our nature, not our behavior. But we all were born in sin. Uh, again, Lawson talks about that in the spirit. So we were all born in sin. We all came from Adam. Um, we all needed a Savior, and the, and the law is the knowledge of that. Even if you and I never committed a sin, we were born in Adam, and there was sin in us. But we have all fallen sin. We've all sinned, and we all came from sin. We were all born into sin. That makes sense? There's no righteous. But we've been justified. We've been born again. 
And we are now, therefore, we're no longer in the flesh. We're no longer in Adam. We are a new creation in Christ. We, we, we read this last week in Romans 5, 17. Paul says, to the one man, Adam, death reigned, but much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. In other words, I'm trying to paint a picture here in this 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> we are no longer flesh. We are no longer in sin. The old man died, reckoning himself to be dead to sin, dead to the flesh, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, because the love of Christ has compelled us to come to the conclusion that all died, therefore, we are no longer in the flesh. And because this is true, because that is true, this is true. Therefore, there's another therefore. And the word therefore is because it, 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 it's connected with what was there for. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we're born again, we're in Christ, he is a new creation. A brand new creation that didn't exist before. Jesus was a new creation. He went, he, he, we didn't come from Adam. We, it was like a whole new creation that didn't exist before. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Not in the natural. Andrew talks about this in his version of Spirit's Own Body. And we have an animated version down on our website of Andrew teaching Spirit's Own Body. But if we were fat before we got saved, we're going to still be fat after we got saved. If we didn't know math before we got saved, we're not going to know math after we got saved unless we learn it. You know, if we didn't change physically, we didn't change if, we, if our personality was a certain type, it's still going to be that way when we got saved. But our spirit was brand new, born again. And only, we're no longer flesh and blood, we're in Christ. Because Christ died for all. And Christ is righteous. So the part of it is that righteous, what I'm trying to get to, is our spirit. Not our soul and not our body. But we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We'll get into that more deeper as we go. But what I want to get into right now, there's a lot I can expand on, is this word behold. This word behold, if you study out in the Greek, it means to see with the mind. We need to see ourselves as a new creation, not flesh. Why? Because Jesus died for our flesh. He, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That faith, the righteous God reveals, the, 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 the gospel reveals the righteous God from faith to faith. For the just, the righteous shall live by his faith. We live by faith in the love of God. That compels us to come to this conclusion that we are no longer flesh, but we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to behold this. That's, in this section of my message, I'm trying to get a, I'm switching gears and we'll spend a whole, whole time on this word behold some more. But we need this because this is true. Because of his righteousness. And when we are skilled and trained and reproved and corrected and trained in this righteousness, so we're complete for every good work. When we're trained in this righteousness, when we're established in this righteousness, we're going to start seeing life differently. We're going to behold ourselves as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're not going to be focused on the flesh. We're not going to be focused on our inadequacies, our, 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 our weaknesses. We're going to be focused on Christ who is in us. And as we focus on who we are in Christ, He who is in us will help us to overcome our inadequacies and our weaknesses and our failures. 
He will live his life through us. He will give us the wisdom. He will give us the strength and the power and the ability. But we need to change the way we're thinking. It goes with Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are transformed. The word transformed is where we, is, we get the word metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog. We are transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, as we behold who we are in Christ because of what he did, the love of Christ, not what we did. That makes sense? I know I'm saying a lot of things, but we need to behold and we're going to spend more time at the latter part of here too. Now all things are our God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not including their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, when's now? Now. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, I read that pretty fast, but I'm going to go back through here real quick, and we'll probably end with this section this morning. There's two accounting terms I've been using in this passage. One is the word reconciled, and the other one is the word, and it's on the bottom here, that's the word imputing. The best way I know how to explain this, and I did this one time in Mexico, and uh, I understand later that they don't get bank statements. <laughs> so when I tried to use a bank statement, they didn't know what that meant. But, uh, so I don't know what part of the world you may be listening to morning, but I'll, I'll just talk about how we do it here in the West. But I'm going to not so much talk about bank, but a, a credit card, which is very similar. Let's just say we have a credit card. And every time you charge something to that credit card, you buy food, you buy a gratification, whatever you do, buy gas, whatever you do. Every time you make a transaction, charge something a credit card, that charge is imputed to your account. Every time you make a payment and pay that credit card, that payment is imputed to that account. Now every month or every accounting period, the, the bank will, or the financial institution that has a credit card, will balance their books. And every time they balance their, all of our accounts on their side, in the accounting background, they will send you a statement. Now, your statement is only one account of all the accounts they have. But they will send you a statement on your account with them. That they've balanced their books, and according to them, this is how much you, money you have, or how much you owe them, and this right now. That's their statement. They've reconciled their books, but this is your statement. But if you're not keeping your own track, uh, I'd say, you know, credit card. The credit card company comes and says, you owe them $1,000. But according to your records, you don't owe them anything. <laughs> You're good, you know? And, uh, and so say you have a credit limit of $1,000, and you owe them $1,000, you try to buy some more food with that credit card, it's going to be denied. Or you're going to go over and have a penalty or whatever. But, if, but even take that away. If you don't reconcile your own books and pay the $1,000, you're going to have severe penalties for not paying that credit card. That make sense? Or let's just say, let's switch your gears, let's say it's a bank account, and you think you have, uh, the bank says you have uh, $0 in your bank, but you think you have $1,000. You go and try to buy some food with your debit card, it's going to be declined, because there's not enough funds in that account. Uh, because you didn't reconcile your account, and the bank says you have 
nothing, but you think you have $5,000, if you don't reconcile your own account with the bank, you, you, you'll, you can either think you have more money than you think you have, or you have less money you have, you're not going to know. But you need to reconcile so that you are in the same terms with the bank. Also, once in a while, the banks make mistakes. And if you reconcile, you can find out they make a mistake and, 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 and deal with that and, and get that fixed. I'm not here to talk about accounting or banking or even credit cards. I'm trying to make an illustration uh, that when we charge something to the credit card, it's imputed to our account. Spiritually speaking, because of we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and even just the fact that because Adam sinned and all sinned, our, our account says that we have a debt and it's a sin debt. And the law says that the only way to pay for this sin debt is death. That's the only way that you can pay off this debt is to die. That's why God told Adam, when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Now he didn't die physically, but he died spiritually. But the only way he could pay off that debt was death. That's why Jesus became the Son of Man, was born of a virgin, so that he could come and take our sin debt for us and die for us. And because he died for us, he imputed all the world's sin to his account, and he paid it in full. And because he paid it in full, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of, of reconciliation. It's going down. That is that God was in Christ Jesus when he died on the cross, reconciling not just you and me who are born again, reconciling the world to himself. He says the same thing in verse John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says that he has reconciled the whole world to himself. Now that can blow our minds again. How has God reconciled the whole world to himself? Not, the whole world is not saved. Because not the whole, even though he has made his grace available by reconciling the world to himself, the whole world has not received this message. Has not received Christ. And therefore they have not they have not reconciled their own accounts to receive this reconciliation that God has provided. For example, let's just say you had a mortgage, and I come and pay off your mortgage. And they give you the, the title deed of the house. It would be silly for you to keep making payments to the bank for something that's got paid off for. Even though you didn't pay it for it, I, a friend, paid for it for you. It would be silly for you to keep making payments to the bank for something that's paid off. Jesus has already paid the bill. He's already reconciled the account, your account. But if you don't receive this message, then you are not going to benefit from that. You're going to keep making payments. In your own mind, you still have a sin debt. I believe when we stand before Jesus or before God, uh, it, it's not gonna be, he's not going to be telling us what did we do about this sin and this sin. He's going to be asking us one main question. What did we do with Jesus? Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus came to reconcile the whole world, not imputing their trespasses to them. He imputed his, our trespasses, all of them, past, future, present, and future, to Jesus. And then he goes on and has committed to the, us the word of reconciliation. Now then, because this is true, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now that can be confusing too, but if you listen to everything I've been saying, because it says in, the, in verses 18 and 19 that God's reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled the world to himself. But then verse 20 says, you be reconciled. Well, if God's reconciling, why am I reconciling? 
Just like the bank has already reconciled their records and given you a statement, God has already reconciled the world and has given you the gospel that you are, that reveals your righteousness if you will receive it by faith. He's already showed you his grace through the gospel. We all heard the gospel, believe the gospel, we're saved. But not everyone who has heard the gospel has believed the gospel. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but not everyone's called upon the name of the Lord. And so, we, but until we reconcile the account on our own, we're not going to benefit. That's why we as pastors, our ambassadors, are pleading with one another in the world and with each one, be reconciled to God, reconcile the books. And there's those who are saved that have received Jesus Christ, but they still haven't had the revelation that God has made them right. They're still struggling with it. Or they, they receive that God has forgiven their sins, but they, they haven't got the revelation that God has also redeemed them from their sickness, from their pain, from their struggles. So in one sense, they've received a, a partial reconciliation in their own minds. We're talking about beholding. We need to see our, we just, the same chapter, the same verse, uh, context is saying, because we implore you in Christ, no, because, because uh, the love of Christ has compelled us to come to this conclusion that if God, Christ died for all, then all died. Therefore, no, we're no man, we know no man of the flesh. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, we need to reconcile that in our mind. We need to behold that in our mind. We need to make that reconciliation in our mind. And what is that reconciliation? Verse 21, my favorite verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, that we might, and if you say this word become, it means to be born of. That we might be born of the righteous God in Him. God wants us to be rec reconciled in our minds. That God took our sin. He's reconciled us to Himself. And He wants us to behold one thing. That we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. Yes, the law revealed our, the knowledge of sin. So we have a Savior, Jesus. But if we receive what Jesus has become, our propitiation, our sacrifice... Hang down to the cross. We don't know anyone has the flesh. We are new creations. And we need not just receive that but become born again. We need to live our lives as though this is true. Everything we do, every decision we make, everything we do in life, from our jobs to our homes to brushing our teeth, everything we do needs to be built on the foundation of knowing who we are in Christ. Because of what God did. Because we need His life, His strength to live this life. And to live it victoriously. To have wisdom. To have uh, His wisdom, His power, His glory in every area of our life. Am I making sense for this? Yeah. I'm over time, so I'll have to stop here. I'm going to pick up on this topic and I want to go to one more verse that really started all of this for me back in 2000. Nine-ish, right? So I get on this path, and, but I, I can't say that. I'm already over time. So this making sense. I know this is deep. If stay with me, and the next week's account, we're going to build on this. We're going to we're going to take some of these passages I've already been reading, and we're going to we're going to break it down a little bit more. Okay, uh, uh, we're going to add to it, but uh, but even the repetitiveness of it will also help break it down. Well, uh, and uh, um, you know, and so. Um,
share with me. Last um, week's message is already on the website. This will be in later this afternoon, and we'll pick up here next week. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. Lord, we thank you for your gift of righteousness. Lord, we might not all understand it yet, and my heart is that we do understand it. Give us the spirit of wisdom. Give us the spirit of understanding so we can understand what, Lord, I know you put on my heart to teach. I'm not so worried that people understand me. I'm worried that they understand you, that they that they understand your truth. And, Lord, I want people to get, get this, to be established, to be skilled in the word of righteousness, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's my heart in preaching. That's my heart as a pastor. That's my heart as a brother in Christ. And I pray that we get this. We would all get this. And come to the knowledge of the stature of the fullness of Christ in every area of our lives. Thank you. We worship you. God bless you. Amen.